0: Words are, in my not-so-humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic, capable of both inflicting injury and remedying it. Welcome to AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks. I wanted to throw somewhere in there the word annual because we're at the end this is our last episode of 2023 hey right. oh my gosh with myself Ramia Amahan with Jacob shaimansky hello and with Nasreen Abdel Majid now we do have a guest a guest who's going to join us through the entire episode uh and before we get to the guest and the reasons why let's get to the quote Jacob you picked it
1: this one is from Harry Potter which is what we're going to be talking about for the entirety of the episode this one's been a long time coming Rams I think we all have a lot to say about this one, including our guests. Uh, I like this quote because it speaks to the power of words. This is from Dumbledore, one of the best wizards in the wizarding world. Mm -hmm. And if that's coming from him talking about the power of words, then that says a lot.
0: Yep. Related to magic. That's good. That was a good explanation of the quote. Thanks. Um, Yeah, we're talking Harry Potter. The last book in the Harry Potter series was published all the way back in 2007. That's over 15 years ago. And that's millions of fans around the world who have been hooked, who drank the Harry Potter Kool-Aid. And we've all kind of absorbed it. Maybe not all the way back from when things were being released. I myself started reading Harry Potter only like five years ago. Actually, yeah, right before I started working at this company. Pretty uh, funny. Um, anyways, it's a great idea for us to get into it and for us to spend an entire episode talking about it because or else I'll just start to sneak in all kinds of Harry Potter references, quotes, reactions um, throughout the rest of the years. And everybody got sick of it, so we dedicated an entire episode, right?
1: Yeah, and this is a series that sold over 600 million books Oof. since 1997. Who does not know Harry Potter? Nobody. You, you literally live under a rock if you don't know about Harry Potter. Yeah. And all three of us, I think, have listened to all or at least a couple of the Harry Potter mm-hmm. audiobooks by Jim Dale. Yep.
0: Or Stephen Ooh, Fry. Or Stephen Fry. Or Stephen Fry. Yeah, we'll
1: get Fry. into that. We'll get into that. But I think it's so worth to talk about because this series had such a massive cultural impact on not just our generation, but like all the all ages. Like yeah. This book sold like crazy. The movies were a phenomenon.
0: Now there's the show with all its controversies coming out. There was the right. release. Show. Of, I know, I know, I know. There's so much going on around the show as well just because what? of J.K. Rowling's name. Should it be in it? Should it not? Can she? How dare she? Um. But, you know, we're going to get into all of that as well. And I think it's time for us to bring our guest on. Yes. Enough teasing. We need this help. So we enlisted our colleague, uh, producer on KNR Kelly and Rumia, as well as friend, friend of the show, friend of the Harry Potter universe, at least I hope you are still, Grant Hardy. Hello, Grant.
2: Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on to talk all things Harry Potter.
0: So is it true? Are you a friend of Harry Potter, the universe?
2: I have... I read the books so many times growing up, and I read the books often, like right on the release day kind of thing oh wow Um, Uh. and own the digital versions and the audio versions and really kind of studied the book so despite everything else that's that's gone on i don't think that i can deny the place that harry potter has had in my
0: life and when we say all the things that have gone on we're talking about the universe itself but also of course about uh, jk rowling the author of the series and the creator of the Harry Potter universe there's a lot of stuff going on around her we're gonna get into that stuff later though so where do you guys want to start with this one I'd like to
1: ask a question to everyone here just starting with the positives we can have a a gush session if we will
0: thank you very (laughs) indulgent of you
1: What do you think it is about the Harry Potter series that caused it to become the cultural touchstone that it ended up being?
2: Well, I think there are several things that are very universal about the series. I mean, you start with a young kid who's bullied and who's an outsider. And honestly, life is looking pretty hopeless for him. And then he goes on to be, you know, famous, a celebrity and a hero. And I think there are lots of moments like that in the series and lots of really well developed characters in the series that people really relate to. Uh so I would say that that's a huge part of it. It is such a huge part of it that it convinced kids to read like massive, you know, seven hundred plus oh, page books. That's a good it's just story. all the relatable
0: so characters. True. But when it came out and you were reading it like as books got released was that in Braille
2: uh, in the early days when books were more difficult to find I would often you know just grab like an ebook copy of okay. off the internet until I could you know uh, purchase the, the official edition but um, mainly ebooks uh, also the the audiobooks from the CNIB back in the day uh, narrated by a woman and Saunders, uh, those were really good.
3: Mm. Uh, but I have
2: read the Stephen Fry uh, versions as well. So uh, honestly, mm. basically like all versions I've, I've read.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, my answer to the question why it's so big is something that I alluded to before, which is it's pop fantasy, right? Like it's not the right. entire investment of you as a reader going into fantasy thinking, like, this is going to be deep. I am ready to invest my my time and, uh, you know, my love for this world. And you don't have to go in with that. And I think that that speaks to also just how many different types of people, age groups, um, and people of just, like, everywhere, you know, not just in North America but all around the world um, who are able to just, like, get hooked on harry potter and it's because for me it's very relatable in this sense i had never read anything fantasy you know i'd read books like fiction books with dips like dip your toes into fantasy elements but i would never pick up anything that was like for real fantasy and that was in tv and books but harry potter came along and within the first couple of uh pages i'd say you know like the first hour of listening to the book i was like this is not fantasy at all. Like, he's learning he's a wizard while we're learning about what the wizarding world is.
1: We're right there with him most yeah, of the time. Yeah, are Right there with him.
0: I don't know anything about this stuff. Like, some people might come into this after having read, um, like, Lord of the Rings, and then you're looking for, uh, potentially, looking for a very magical world, a very magical universe, the ins and outs of this kind of world building, whereas I wasn't. I was like, I don't know what this is. It seems to be a big deal. I'm just going to check it out. And I think so many people can relate in that sense. Well,
1: one thing that grounds Harry Potter and I think makes it more accessible is that it's urban fantasy.
0: Yeah.
1: Meaning that it's it's not fantasy set in, a, in an entirely different world. Nope. That would be high fantasy. Harry Potter is kind of known as like low fantasy mm-hmm. because it exists in on Earth, in yep. the UK more specifically. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Hogwarts is canonically placed in Scotland. Yeah. But yeah, it's it it makes it more accessible that way.
2: Exactly. Yeah, it's a very, really similar world to the one we live in. They just have slightly different abilities. But uh, aside from that, there aren't actually a huge amount of differences, really, almost almost just a technological difference that they have.
0: I guess yeah. And and that's the other thing like it's not just the worlds but it's the technology that we're used to that just becomes you know a bit more magical or the concepts that we're used to that become a bit more magical and again going back to Harry himself, you know, especially in the first book but first and second and third um you know he, as he gets introduced to new concepts from people who are wizards and witches and have lived this their entire lives. Uh, we're not left in the dark. We're also going, oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. These metaphors of magical versions of these things that we're already used to.
1: Nostalgia aside, what do you think it is about the series or what about the series do you think it does particularly well? I'm going to start here. Mm. J.K. Rowling is incredibly creative. I think her world is very imaginative and just so charming right the world building is shoddy in terms of logic but what is given to us is so delightful like all the little things like the train going up to the school the school being a castle uh, the four houses a yeah. sorting hat um even Voldemort his whole backstory like mm-hmm. everything is incredibly creative and very engaging and I think so creative that goes yeah
3: and I feel like they didn't miss a detail and I think that's what grabs everybody's attention there was there's just so many details that they never missed. Um, like with description, Nasreen? Like for us to imagine the world? Yeah, like they went beyond our imagination. Even as kids and even adults, they feel the same way. Like that's why it's so nice for all ages. Mm-hmm. It's not just for yeah. kids. Like you think about Harry Potter and you're like, oh, this is it's childish or this is when we were kids. That It's that age group. No, it's not like as you said, Remy, like you, you read it five years ago, you got into it five years ago. Um, I got into it recently. It's, it's not um, just for a specific age group. And that's why, like the imagination is beyond what we expected. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Grant, do you want to speak on that? Like what JK Rowling does well?
2: I well I would say number 1 the relatability of the characters to children while addressing some fairly adult like topics mm. and virtues and actually providing very solid answers to what seem to be riddles throughout the series like for example yeah. you know throughout the entire series uh Dumbledore claims that love is more powerful than Voldemort's dark magic which always seems a little ridiculous to me like I'm like it's you know a nice little virtue a nice thought but like come on it's not really more powerful than dark magic but in the end we actually get an answer to why it is more powerful because it you know convinces for example Snape to act as as he does you know to kind of change sides lead a bit of a double life a very dangerous life so I really like that about the series is that it does tend to tie up all those loose ends and address some very difficult questions in a very logical way.
0: That's a really fair point. Even the on that same context of the love versus dark magic thing uh, the protection that Harry had through his entire life which was his mother's which then his aunt took on uh, was all through quote her love right? Her care for her child so yeah but those are tactile things that she brought up and not just like hey guys believe in love (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. It could have been very shallow, but it oh, was 100%. handled very well.
0: It felt very juvenile for a really long time, right? Like this uh, Dumbledore's, you know, trust me, Harry, kind of. I'm like, okay, enough. But um, <laughs> the other thing is she, a same same context as you, what you're saying, Grant, the subtleties of different things that only when you hear from the author, you realize that she's done this in the books. Like her portrayal of different kinds of strength in women. Right. So not just, you know, one woman uh, does this well and she is the strongest character for this reason or whatever. Um, She has many women throughout the series who she has pointed out to be strong in this way, this way or this way or complex uh, in this way, this way, this way. Or, you know, grief, like other topics as well um, and how people are experiencing grief. I think book five was very difficult for me to read just I was annoyed the whole time because of Harry's attitude. But um, a lot of that was due to the grief that he felt after Cedric's death in book four. And then in parts of book six, you see uh, things coming out after the death of Sirius Black. So there's a lot of stuff that frustrated me as a reader, but were essentially because she was dealing with difficult things. And it wasn't just meant to be a light read. And I think at some point I was annoyed by that, that it was no longer a light read.
1: And I think this is a good transition to how the themes of the book kind of evolved as it went along. The first couple books were quite YA, like kids books, and they definitely evolved to be a lot darker alongside the readers. And I think this is something that's been talked about a lot already, but just how the books developed in terms of maturity along with its readers, like there wasn't a whole lot of death and serious themes in the first couple of books but come the last one we're talking about like torture and murder and Mm. treason Oh yeah, like it it gets really dark real quick um mental
0: health like with the uh long bottoms there's so much
1: yeah oh yeah absolutely and complex feelings i'm thinking of characters like malfoy and snape like their motivations are a lot more complicated Mm. that type of stuff would have never been explored in books one two or
2: three Sure. Yeah, I think I feel like book three was kind of the transition yes. for me because all of the books, especially book two, was just no lasting harm at all. You know, everything was kind of tied up and resolved. And book three kind of started with, "Oh, this year there's an escaped murderer on the loose," which was you know kind of like a kid like, <laughs>
1: mm, something yeah. kids would find funny are kind mm. of
2: like you know like it happens in kids books. But then towards the end, they get into these details of like corruption like miscarriage of justice you know starting to build up more loose ends Mm. that are going to be explored throughout the series and then as you mentioned in books four through seven we transition into some really dark stuff so that's kind of my thoughts on that
0: yeah i will say though um the nostalgia aspect of it I know you said earlier Jacob like aside from nostalgia but
1: that's okay you can bring
0: it back yeah the nostalgia aspect of these books just going back to you know all ages is quite intriguing I think that you know as a 30 year old I'm reading back some of these books or feeling so cozy uh when I read certain aspects of Harry Potter and thinking like you know is this strange like these kids are going through school like they're teenagers and they're um ex- we're dividing the book up into seasons like going into school and the winter break oh, yeah. and the summer holidays and what happens there but it does feel super nostalgic and i think that that's jk rowling's um her strength in description like every time that train pulls into the castle I'm thinking, oh, how exciting. Here comes another year with the trio. Yeah. It's the description of everything, as as Nisreen mentioned, the details, but the descriptions from every corner, every corridor, every festive celebration in the Great Hall, every food uh, that Ron shoves down his throat. Like, there's just... (laughs) It it, it never ends, right?
1: There's a great sense of... Time moving forward in, in the series. Like, they always have Brilliant. something to look forward to. The yes. Christmas break, the next Quidditch game, the mm. end of year. Like, it, there's always something to look forward to. And I think that it propels the story forward really well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it's so interesting to keep going back to it and rereading it. Do you guys have a favorite book, Grant? I would say, well, I think book
2: five.
1: Oh, my. Uh, yeah. Yeah, interesting yeah. why is that?
2: It was very uh it was pretty dark and people went through some really difficult changes and development throughout the book but it also talked a lot about their wizarding society, like how their law and order work, how their courts work, you know, kind of how their their ministry worked, uh, a lot about the, you know, corruption that was becoming more and more clear throughout this uh, the society, uh, br- brings in a lot more, um, you know, again, loose ends that have to be tied up uh, later on in the series. A lot of just people working through some complex emotions.
0: No, it makes sense to me. Uh, it's just it, because it was such a dark book, I find it one of the hardest to reread. Just yeah, as I a... mean, it's
2: pretty dark. It's, it's not... not no. Did I, did I hear Jacob you say it might be your favorite book as well? Maybe you could offer more of an arc.
0: Mm.
1: It's not my favorite, but it's also not my least favorite. What's your um, least favorite? <laughs> Probably the second one to be honest.
0: Oh, I never go back mm. to the first or second books.
1: You're right. yeah it, it's just not very memorable for me the mm-hmm. first one obviously gets the bump because it's the first one and like there's yeah. always a nostalgia like the first book and how it was like at the mm-hmm. start and where they where they go after that point mm. um what I find with the fifth book is that it really explores the themes of like friendship and camaraderie it's so heartwarming that all of these friends of Harry's and Ron and Hermione's uh, get together and form Dumbledore's army in secret in the Room of Requirement. Uh, that's
0: book five, right?
1: That's book five. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. And they talk, they talk about the themes of friendship all throughout the series, but this is where like, it really solidifies. And this goes back to something you were mentioning earlier, granted, that's that the themes in this series are very cohesive and well-explored and very well tied up in the end. Like, they prove that... Well, she makes a very good point of why love is more powerful than hate and why friendship is so important. And uh, book five does that really well. Um, I think my favorite book is uh, book six, uh, followed by book three. Book six, because it sets up book seven very well, but it's just the mood of book six is very... It's eerie. I wouldn't say it's too dark, but it does feel like it's the last year of Hogwarts and it seems like Harry makes the best of it. Like, there's a lot of Quidditch in it, which is pretty nice. They do a lot of very Hogwarts-y stuff, you know, like Mm. going going to uh, dinner parties and a lot of school and exams. Like, And and I love that stuff. Like, I love the mundaneness of life in Hogwarts. It's the
0: familiarity. It's the
1: familiarity. Yeah, like I almost want to watch like a sitcom in Harry Potter.
0: Oh, yeah, that's it, a good it, way like, to say in it. In
1: Hogwarts. Like, I like the common mundane day-to-day stuff because what J.K. Rowling created in not just the Wizarding World but, like, more specifically Hogwarts, like, attending there as a student, don't you want to be there? Yeah. And I think book six does that better than any other book, especially that the students, the kids, like, they grew up and they're exploring, like, romance and new things like that it's uh <laughs>
0: definitely exploring
1: i love that book but there's also <laughs> a lot of dark themes like draco being like roped into the death eaters circles mm, and mm-hmm. what's snape up to and I fe- dumbledore's asking acting sketch yenis
3: i feel like the the third one would be like a lot of people's favorites because as you said grant that's where it transitions into okay it gets more complex it gets more you know adult theme there there's a yep. lot of changes but versus the first and second book where they play it safe
0: that's why yeah, th- book exactly. 3 is my favorite book 3 yeah. and 6 are my top 2 but i flip from what you said jacob because book 6 has too many skippable chapters okay so it's basically like two books in one every time um dumbledore and harry have a meeting in dumbledore's office is that what we're calling that yep. anyways um <laughs> <laughs> there's,
1: there's. House? Is it also his bedroom? I
0: don't know. That's what I'm like, his living quarters? I'm not he really sure.
1: He lives there. It's goes
3: on chambers. there. Is chambers. Is it his chambers. His <laughs> chambers.
0: Yeah. Anyway, weird. Um.
1: <laughs> Come to my chambers, Harry.
0: <laughs> Here's my password. No, thanks. Okay. So,
1: <laughs> Yes, headmaster. <laughs> it's kind of weird when you think it about weird. it.
0: I, I've never had to like explain this, but anyway, now that we are, it's taking a weird turn. Um, I. I would skip these chapters, like, on my rereads. And yo, they were definitely fascinating and still are and add to the uh, connectivity of all these different things that are going to go on in book seven, as you've all pointed out. But just specifically from a reread perspective, I skip through half the book for, for those chapters. Those chapters are out, and then I only read the very Hogwartsy. Chapters, as you said, Jacob. So um, it is one of my favorite books, and especially because of the romantic back and forth. But I love the drama and the chaos. So I have to go to book three. There were so many great fights between Hermione and Ron. Ooh. It was epic comedy. Like absolutely. I do
1: like the mellow Are you I like kidding? It. I like and it, yeah. especially
0: <laughs> with the um, with Wormtail involved, and like you know, there's just so much resistance and anger and frustration. You got to see a lot of that, and then a lot of it get cleared up later. With with the time-turner. Um, I never get to the time-turner parts when I reread, though. But it, that's why book three is my favorite. So many laugh-out-loud moments, along with book six.
2: I, I always feel like the, the best fight between Hermione and Ron happens in book four, where, yeah. like, on the one hand, Ron it seems to be, like, <laughs> <laughs> totally uninterested in her ma- asking Hermione out yeah. to go to the ball, but on the other hand, it's like when she shows it's up with sort of drum. like you're not going with anybody else, you just <laughs> made that up to you know get <laughs> rid of Neville. was her <laughs> epic line? I want to go with you. She's like,
0: <laughs> what? unlike what you think, I am a girl. Yes, no? yes I am Whatever. actually a girl.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. That's a good line,
1: <laughs> it was a
0: great but, line, anyways. Yeah, I just love their drama.
2: It's funny that you guys say that about book six, because I always found book six a bit of a puzzle. Like on the one hand, it's very, very, very dark. But on the other hand, they have like these parties and like they just seem to be carrying on normal life. And it's it's always been a bit of a puzzle to me because I'm just like, I don't know if I really see that happening in the midst of all this chaos. But I mean, that being said, they're teenagers. So I guess maybe they're capable of feeling a larger range of emotions and experiences than than I would be as an adult.
0: (laughs) That was also contradicted after the Cho Chang experience with Harry. Like, guys don't feel emotions. Girls are way too complicated with (laughs) emotions. Oh, man. So
1: the book came out, or the last book of the series came out in 2007. That's a little over 15 years ago. Are there any aspects of the series that you think haven't aged particularly well, Ramya?
0: Yeah, a bunch. Like um, Just like nowadays, you can't really recommend anything without caveating by saying, but, you know, we make fun of these kind of people in this book or these things are said about these types of c- this community or um, heads up that the language is not so censored in this aspect. And I think that, yeah, there's quite a lot of, judgment if you will in this book like uh, that you could take lightly as comedic because that's I think the way that it was intended in a lot of it but nonetheless you're kind of pinpointing right like the the stuff around how uh, Luna Lovegood is treated for example until she makes her big break in the um oh my god I can't even say the word now uh, magic whatever the headquarters (laughs) The Ministry of Magic. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Until she makes her breakthrough (laughs) at the Ministry of Magic at the end of book five. She's just kind of treated like this strange, weird,
1: Eccentric weirdo that was just kind of one-dimensional. Like
0: nobody will take her seriously and nobody will really take her side. And she gets bullied. And I think bullying happens actually quite a bit in this uh, series, which may not sit with people very well. Like I grew up with this kind of material. So I almost don't even see problems unless i check for them but you could tell why it wouldn't sit well and why it clearly hasn't sit well uh sat well
1: something else along those lines is the way she describes uh characters who are like obese yep um like, the, the way Absolutely. she talks about dudley especially and in in like every aunt, book in like every book is like it's clearly meant for comedic relief but it's gratuitous yep. yeah. like it reads very yep. it's in very Just poor body taste shaming nowadays. in general actually it's body
2: shaming and, and fat phobia yeah. But- also, the way that characters, for example, with like scarring or facial differences, yep. are often vilified in a society. And you look at, you know, all the the villain, like Voldemort. You know, has scars all over his body. Mm. Um, you know, if I wanted to kind of reach a little bit, like the the Dementors are are blind and faceless. Mm. You know, so you can definitely see a lot of kind of uh stereotypes coming out as well
0: which is not uh um, atypical right for building fantasy for building these kind of uh worlds and books and dark versus light just imagery it's not unheard of it's but it's very definitely very problematic especially for something as big as harry potter sorry go mm. on
2: exactly I don't know if this is too morbid to bring up, but just the short version. One thing that I don't think has aged particularly well is moaning Myrtle haunting the bathrooms. Yeah. Mm. Like yeah. <laughs> in, on the one hand, assuming that ghosts don't age once they die, so I'll give her the benefit of the doubt that she's like, what, 16 or 17? It's kind of. Weird that she's watching other people in the bathrooms, oh. um, of both <laughs> yeah. like both, both sexes, yeah. and it's very very weird that she invites a young Harry who would have been twelve to come and live in her bathroom if he dies. Oh my That God. all strikes. She was me also as...
3: weirdly flirty. <laughs>
2: <laughs> totally, yeah. That I don't think that has aged particularly well.
0: I'm just not thinking back to book four where she was watching him while he was uh, fiddling Taking with the bath. egg. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was yeah.
3: so weird. And he's weird.
0: like, dude, I was walking around without my towel. You didn't say anything or something along those lines. And, and I was like, uh-oh, that's is He's clearly
1: awkward. very uncomfortable, but she doesn't care. She doesn't
0: care at all. And what
1: are they going to do? So she's, like, like, she's a ghost. ghost. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but it's so true, funny. though. I never
0: no, thought about that.
2: It's so true, yeah. That's never really... Aged well for me, and the the one other thing is um, slavery in the books. I don't, I don't necessarily agree that J.K. Rowling is pro-slavery, quote unquote. I can't imagine that, but there are definitely some pro-slavery elements in the books, especially the fact that Hermione is the only one who really takes the House Elves' plight seriously. She is mocked for doing that. I mean, spew is the name of her society, which is, you can't really get more mocking than that. Uh, Also, in book five, it seems like maybe people are starting to get concerned and are going to do something about the house elves after Creature betrays Sirius, and they talk about, you know, we've abused our fellow creatures for too long. But then just nothing really happens. The house elves remain slaves, including one who's owned by Harry throughout the entire series, and nothing is really done about it.
0: You know, I will challenge this a little bit um, by saying J.K. Rowling used this tactic, like what you're saying, where, you know, Hermione's the only one who was like, we need to do something about this. This is a systematic problem. Why is nobody caring? Like, why doesn't anybody give a uh, crap about this? And I think that J.K. Rowling used that in a lot of different ways, actually. Um, For a long time, Harry was the only one who was... Like, Voldemort's back, guys. Like, we need to do something. And everybody, including the entire Ministry of Magic, was like, you silly boy. And, um, <laughs> you know, same thing with a lot of other stuff. Like, I, I don't know specific examples at the moment. But I felt like there was a lot of against the grain um, as being problematic and shut down. Right. Like people who were different, people who thought differently, people who uh, had something to say that wasn't the societal norm, that wasn't the way uh, were getting mocked, bullied, challenged, not taken seriously at all. And I saw that theme creep up in a lot of ways throughout the series.
1: Yeah, that reminds me of um, the teacher that teaches a divination what's her name again she's also like luna in which she's kind yes. of an eccentric but people just do not take her seriously even though she's correct about a lot of things so you're saying that there's a theme or like a, a repetition here that people who go against the grain are mocked and ridiculed and sometimes we should listen to opposing viewpoints
0: yeah i mean if, as you said grant like Hermione was never really taken seriously, right? Like, we saw no. it in tiny little bits where maybe Sirius was starting to treat creature a little better.
1: Even Harry and Ron were not very receptive no. there. Oh, yeah. No. So,
2: like, exactly. So in, yeah. And in book six, after someone has literally died because their house elf betrayed them, Harry finds out that they're potentially t- testing poisons on the elves. And the only thing he says is, or thinks to himself is like, oh, I hope Hermione never finds out about it. Exactly.
0: Um, exactly. And
2: what? That's all a little yeah. odd. That's yeah.
0: horrible. Yeah. But then you see what? like the individual changes, <laughs> just, right? Just... Like you don't see societal changes as much except in the, oh my God, we're doomed. Uh, Voldemort is actually back. But in this with the the house elves and uh, I guess slavery of elves in general, um, we don't see much change, but we do see individual shifts in perspective. In book seven, you see it with Creature and Ron and, and uh, Harry. I don't know if you see too much of it with Sirius, because he was just like a stubborn mule of a character to yeah, begin with. I just um, at least don't remember it. But you do see it with even the elves themselves, right? Like, it's not just the the characters, I will say. Even within the elf community, uh, there are many instances where winky was like i'm doomed i can't work anymore i can't do whatever and then you have dobby who's like i'm a free elf let's go and then this entire system that already has existed for ages where elves are like no this is our role this is our role in society we love our job we love what we do so i think she portrays different perspectives like she does really give us the spectrum of things but in all in all Yeah, we don't see a giant shift in the way that things are.
1: And regardless of how you interpret that plot line, I think we can all agree that it's frustrating that it never really wraps up Mm -hmm. because Hermione just sort of gives up and doesn't really acknowledge it. And I think this points to some of J.K. Rowling's shoddy writing. Mm. I'd like to point out uh, quite a few of the plot holes and inconsistencies in this story. Grant, you actually pointed out a couple in an email you sent us earlier. Uh, Do you want to get into them a little bit? One of the most
2: baffling plot holes in book five is when Harry goes through all kinds of trials and tribulations to try and contact Sirius. It turns out Sirius gave Harry a wrapped package over the Christmas holidays and said, use this if you ever need me, (laughs) i.e. this will put you in direct touch with me Harry never uses this even in a life or death situation. And Mm. I have no idea why I can just conclude. I don't know Jacob, if you or Ramia, anyone has an answer, but I think we just have to conclude. He forgot.
0: Um, I don't have a, like, I didn't have too much of an issue with this. I did with Harry when he finally realized he could use it. When was that? At the end of book five when he's like, Oh my God. This thing that I completely forgot about. Ah I hate that. Ah, exactly. A character's
1: stupidity should not be what propels the plot forward. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Okay, then exactly. then you'll have a lot of issues with book five because, <laughs> because his stupidity was the crux of book five. Like he just uh, I mean, no offense, okay. But like I love Harry as much as the rest of you guys, but he was just doing a lot out of sheer stubbornness. Out of sheer, like, I'm sorry, I can't listen to what anybody has to say about anything right now. I'm just going to do what I want. And then he would drag his friends and end up in really messed up situations. Can you give us
2: an example of that? I'm just curious. I
0: mean, every time um, somebody would tell Harry, like, for example, in book three, where, was it book three? Yeah, where uh, Ron's father, Mr. Weasley, was like, please don't go after Sirius Black. Because everybody knows mm, yeah. more than he does. Now, you can argue this every which way, right? Well, if he didn't, then the plot wouldn't be what it was, blah, blah. But I'm saying, as Jacob, you said, you know, character stupidity. I'm saying that, like, Harry, in a lot of circumstances like this one, where he just did not care about what the adults were telling him, just went on his merry way and was never even sure about what he was doing. It was literally just reactive and we saw this in book six as well where he's like i know i have a hunch malfoy is a death eater Well, okay fine malfoy's a death eater but that whole book was propelled on him just being like nope i'm gonna do it i'm gonna find out his whole don't proof try to that, stop me
1: his whole proof is that well he's a slytherin and i yeah. hate him <laughs> like it, was so therefore. it
0: was nothing <laughs> and this is what i would say like it's a Maybe not a character flaw that feels a little harsh, but yeah, it's something that I despise about Harry's character throughout the series. Ah, So nice to get that off my chest. Thanks.
1: Wow, yeah, that sounds like (laughs) it was therapeutic. I think it's a balancing act because you want your characters to not be a perfect paragon of virtue and logic. Obviously. Right? Like, they have to be impulsive, flawed, flawed, Mm -hmm. but it's also very cheap to use a character's, like, lack of judgment or, like I said earlier, stupidity to move the plot forward.
2: Yeah. It's realistic,
1: I, but it sucks as a story. It's the worst, because, yeah. like you said, like why didn't you just use the mirror, Harry? That's stupid. Why <laughs> yeah. didn't you just use the time turner again, Hermione? Yeah.
2: yeah There's so
1: I, many I'd, things like that.
2: Yeah, I'm kind of okay with characters, like, virtues or lack of virtues getting them or impulsivity getting them into trouble but it's hard to just accept that something this big and useful was just like forgotten.
1: Especially that it felt like that's why it was presented in the first place. Why would you like bring up the mirror in the first place if you're not going to use it later on? Yeah, It's like, it's like she just forgot.
2: I mean it was kind of needed to be there for book seven when i think aberforth uses it to uh communicate would well, not communicate but send help to her yeah 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 camping but really yeah back. like i feel like she could have found oh. a different way of i forgot about that. or not it bring
0: it up in. at all right yeah. like <clears throat> in book five i mean like if he lost it then explain it later but yeah it does feel like a cheat it feels like um
1: one of yeah. my favorite plot holes that I always find hilarious is in the Marauder's Map where you can see the footsteps and names of everyone yeah. on a map of Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. Uh they spot the name Peter Pettigrew. Uh no wait, they don't spot they the don't. name. They don't mm-hmm, spot the name mm-hmm. Peter Pettigrew, but we know that Ron's rat Scabbers is He's, actually yeah. Peter Pettigrew and yeah. Ron's rat is in Ron's room all the time. So sh- yeah, should he be able to see Peter Pettigrew sleeping with Ron yeah. every night.
2: Yeah, exactly. Especially because Fred and George owned this map previously, and they never had any questions about that. And you would think they would have spied on their brother. At oh, absolutely. That's yeah. the first yeah. thing they would yeah. have done.
0: Yeah. Uh, apparently, you know the the person who played. Um, George in the movies, Oliver Phelps, had some cheeky comments to say about it. Like, maybe it's a boo in the family. Maybe they just never talk about it. Like, who the heck is Peter Bloke? But it that's not directly from the author, right? That's just us trying to help her out, I guess. <laughs> um, the... People, I love reading, like, this kind of, it's not fan fiction, but, you know, people's commentary on plot holes because it's hilarious. I just don't read this way.
1: There is so, so much many. content out there. Yes. Just talking yes. about plot holes and consistencies in Harry yeah. Potter. series. if you look it up, there are hundreds of yeah, videos, yeah, yeah. thousands of articles.
0: Yeah. And I think J.K. Rowling has done reasonably enough to, like, keep in touch with this stuff. Like, she's not M.I.A. with these plot holes. I, I don't think she's, like, disappearing and saying, mm yeah, but it's she's magic. explained some of it yeah yeah exactly it's magic. it's magic the one about the truth serum right like why don't they just figure out who's bad and who's good and who's telling the truth with the uh, veritas serum is another uh like with the ministry of magic people have questioned that forever and her answer to that is well some wizards are just good enough like they're good enough to block their minds from that stuff so i don't think that's a cheat
1: so they don't use it all the time.
0: They can't use it. You can't get away with using it. Like Snape, you're not going to get Snape to uh, confess a lie through true uh, truth, truth serum. serum. He's too. Yeah, his mind is too blocked.
1: I mean, the question still poses pac- itself: Why don't they use it more often? It, it's surely not they do, most people that
0: it's the. But we're not keeping in touch with the everyday. We're keeping in touch. Remember, uh, what's her name tried to use it on Harry. That would have been, like, an actual problem, right? If she got the the toad.
1: <laughs> that's true,
2: yeah. Well, I think that's the question, though, right? Like, why can people just possess it and use it so recklessly, but the government or in, in trials or whatever, they don't at least try to use it more to, to tie up some...
0: I guess it's because it's not a reliable platform. source. Like, if I was a great... Uh... Wouldn't
1: that be nice? Yeah, I know. Oh my god.
0: Uh then the truth serum just wouldn't work on me and you might think it does. There's no way to prove that it is or it isn't, right?
1: Oh, it's like a polygraph yeah, test. That's fair. Yeah.
0: That's fair.
1: There's no proof like you can beat it with training.
0: Exactly okay yeah you know what
1: i'll I'll give this one a pass thank you thank you
0: (laughs) okay one point for jk Rowling.
1: (laughs) (laughs) that said there's still a lot of things about the world that are just baffling not plot holes just like things that are just kind of funny okay tell me why is hogwarts so damn dangerous
2: why wouldn't it be yeah that that bugged me too
1: Why is the Weeping Willow still there? Oh, God, (laughs) Cut that thing down. It's going to kill
0: someone. (laughs) No, it's the quirkiness of the place, (laughs) guys. That's a horrible reason to keep it up.
2: (laughs) Yeah, you look at people like, you know, Molly Weasley or whatever, who just don't, are not willing to deal with, like, any possible danger for their kids, and yet they still, (laughs) everyone sends their kids to this, like, very dangerous place where you could literally become gravely injured very easily <laughs>
1: there's a
0: giant it's really so odd. boring if it wasn't that's not a dangerous. good reason
1: that's not a good reason it's not realistic they didn't put any effort realistic. into making this school oh, come safe on. okay Dude, now we're there's like just pulling a 15 foot troll that just walks loose in the first book
0: there is a poltergeist that's just spitting <laughs> gum at people like where are we going to draw the line here where?
1: <laughs> There's, like, staircases that are turning this way and fro that, like... Yes. Someone's going to fall off and, like, plunge... You have to climb like into an attic. to death. Yeah, you have <laughs> to climb into an glasses. attic. That is not safe. Also, not wheelchair accessible. <laughs> okay. <Right? laughs> <All right.
0: laughs> we have to... We have to... When you said Molly Weasley, it reminded me of the... um what are those creatures you have to like fling around? Like lasso them around and toss away so that they can't find their way back <laughs> in oh. the backyards when they're cleaning things up.
2: Oh, the the garden. The, the gnomes. gnomes. The yes,
0: gnomes. <laughs> exactly. That kills me. Like there's just so many random things that we have to we have to deal and with.
1: There's also the question of why uh, wizards don't use Muggle technology, and totally. The, well, there's a good reason for that, though. Well, I have heard they? a couple explanations. Okay. One, that magic interferes with electricity. <laughs> I, I have heard this. Okay. Apparently, that's something J.K. Rowling the book, like, though. cleared up.
0: Yeah. Is that just like a general concept of magic? Here's the other thing. Yeah, it's
1: like a general concept of magic that's very present in a lot of other series, okay, actually. Good.
0: Okay, fine. Yeah. So you just got to know magic to yeah, know the, some of the, the unspoken rules. The books do
2: kind of say, I think, or at least a couple people say that muggle technology kind of goes haywire around at least hogwarts i don't know though you could probably it doesn't really say that you couldn't use it in your own community though
1: there is also the cultural reason why wizards would not want to use muggle technology because um they're very reclusive like there's very little interaction between muggles and wizards and there's an arrogance there too because wizards, yeah. if they use muggle technology, it's kind of admitting that they're not a good wizard. Which makes sense to me. But it also kind of makes me think that wizards are just kind of arrogant. And don't want to explore muggle technology, even though it might be better. Like, yeah. this is going to sound a little glib, but like, why doesn't why don't the death Eaters use guns? You're telling me uh... an M16 would not be better than a wand?
0: I maybe the reaction speed, the reaction of a bullet being stopped by magic.
2: Yeah, you might be. Able to... Yeah, you'd have to be pretty quick,
0: but. See, <laughs> I think
1: we're really getting I... into hypotheticals.
0: <laughs> well, you're posing you're them, right? I think <laughs> I need to defend my, girl.
2: <laughs> my thought has always been just like, why are things so difficult that? with muggle technology would be very easy. Things like telling the date and time, Um, uh, you know, Harry and Hermione struggle with this when they're camping. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Mapping out where you are communicating with people securely. Like we can do that. It it seems like they have a lot of trouble doing that. Yeah. Just get an
1: iPhone.
0: (laughs) Yo, this is 07, by the way, the last book. Okay. Come on. Yeah. Okay. Fine. An Nokia, Blackberry. (laughs) GPS of any kind. Uh, maybe that's just like a superiority complex, right? Like, oh, oh, all yeah. these oh, muggles. Yeah. Psh, <laughs> they don't know what they're doing. Fascinating. A fireplace <laughs> that locks up. <laughs> okay, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with more Harry Potter discussion, uh, but getting into more of the current stuff around J.K. Rowling and the things that uh, are going on on that side of things. So we'll be right back. It's AMI Audiobook Review. <laughs> Welcome back. It's AMI Audiobook Review and we're continuing on this Harry Potter episode to end off the year with you. And Grant Hardy's here, Jacob is here, I'm here, Nisreen's here. So, let's get into the JK Rowling side, okay? We have like less than 10 minutes left of what we can bring up. Um, Obviously, things are quite problematic with how jk rowling is currently being received and there's i guess a lot we can say about do we really care in terms of the spectrum of how this affects our love of harry potter the love of the books love of the series the universe her involvement in that versus her opinions and things going on specifically around um transgendered opinions and what she has expressed around this and people's reactions and responses to that. So Grant, maybe we can start with what you have to say.
2: Yeah, I mean, starting off with the the knowledge that I'm not the most qualified person in the world to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But it appears that things kind of blew up a while ago with her uh, perceived transphobia. When someone, she retweeted a story that used the term people who meant straight and J.K. Rowling was like highly offended that we weren't just calling them women and then she just went into like a rant after rant like both with tweets and a big essay that she wrote about how like you know not just reserving the term women for like cis women or denying that like sex and gender are innate you know erases all this history that women have experienced and she's brought up a lot of like very transphobic things about, you know, like discouraging kids from transitioning. Uh, And, you know, like, Oh, if we throw up in the door to, you know, the bathrooms for trans people, then we're, you know, just allowing any man who says that he's a woman to enter the woman's bathrooms. I mean, which is essentially bizarre given her like, attitude towards bathrooms in the series. Um, But just, just like, she's just decided like, this is the hill she's going to die on. Like, she's like, oh, I haven't replied to other stuff, you know, abuse directed at like my fans who are kids or, you know, death threats directed at me, whatever. But gosh darn it, like, this is the issue I'm going to die on. And she (laughs) seems to have come out as very like anti-trans, which is,
0: which she has responded to as well, right? Like being yeah. per- perceived as anti-trans. She's also said a lot around that and saying, no, I'm not anti-trans, but this is my very specific opinion.
2: Yeah, she's kind of like said, I'm not anti-trans and I support trans people while parroting like transphobic talking yeah, points. Yeah. So I don't really know what to say. I feel like someone who's, who's uh, authentically in that community would have a better uh, thing to say. But I think essentially like... That that group of people experiences so much discrimination and
3: violence. Mm. Like
2: people don't just transition on a whim or you know go into the other bathroom just because they're creepy. Like people are authentically, authentically trans and are just kind of sh- sharing their story. I I know Rolling has made some comment about like the, the 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 quote unquote laughter like the way we're supposed to think about trans people is not unlike the death eaters where like if you don't think about it that way people will try and erase you Uh, it's just very Mm. very odd and upsetting and seems to be at odds with the values in the series
1: i I think you hit on what makes this such a weird situation is that for some reason like of all people like why did did jk rowling decide to make this her issue that she was going to fight over right like, it seems so strange, and she claims that she doesn't care about her legacy. And fair enough, like she might not, but like yep. it or not, this is tarnishing her legacy in the Harry Potter books as a whole. Like I can't help but feel a little strange of of reading these books now without thinking that I'm putting money in the pocket of this mm. weirdo. Mm-hmm. Like to be honest, like we did on purpose in the first half of this show to completely extricate J.K. Rowling from our discussion. Yeah, yeah. So we can just analyze the series for what it is. And I really admire J.K. Rowling for what she's put together for her series, but the Absolutely. fact that she- As an jumped, artist, as a writer. As an artist, as a writer, yeah. But the fact that she jumped into this fight for no good reason. like What are you doing? You Like, what are you doing?
0: So there is, and we- we can't minimize the conversation around art and artistry um, versus the artist, right? And we see this in cancel culture in all facets of the conversation, where people are being totally, totally um, dismissed for everything that they've put out, for all the works that they've that we've loved or cherished or you know passed around and shared literature and otherwise. And, you know, now based on either current opinions or things that have come up, people have dug up from their past, uh, we now say throw the art away with the artist. And I do have challenges with that. Um, I think that there is definitely a lot of reasons why J.K. Rowling could have, exited from this conversation completely not put her opinion out there and just you know relaxed with the way that she was putting her opinion on there but i have no idea why she did it and i think the three of us are asking that same question right why did she do this why would she put her stuff out there and did she really need to is she even part of this community and maybe she feels like she is because she's a woman so she has things to say around that and the the biology and whatever but it's really the the question is still unanswered we have no idea what this means to her personally and this is the problem that we encounter often, which is, yeah, these people are celebrities. Yeah, they're influencers. Yeah, they've made a dent into our worlds and stamped themselves into our worlds because they are the creators of the art that we uh, acquire, that we live with, that you know we love and carry on with us. But they're individuals. And she's come out with a lot of her own issues as well. Like She spoke about her own mental health challenges as she was writing the series, before she was writing the series, the things right. that she's gone through, abuse abuse and otherwise, um, her failing marriage, what these books meant to her, right? Like, that's the other thing. Like, these books aren't just about what they meant to us, but also what they meant to her while she was writing them. And sometimes I weigh all of these things very similarly, like, in the same uh, sense of it, thinking, like, we just... Don't know. Like, we could be angry and we could be emotional about her circumstance and what she's putting out there. Facts. But do we really have the right to be like, but don't put your opinion out there? Or because of this opinion, now I can't read these books? Or does it change what these books mean to me before I knew J.K. Rowling and started to follow this ugly trajectory of the turn of events? I don't know.
1: Yeah, well said, Rams. Honestly, I think we could just leave it at that.
0: Yeah because we're running out of time now yeah. so <laughs> we got to go um let me quickly tell people what the three feature titles are on the CELA homepage, and then we'll say goodbye to you, Grant. But these are the three titles that are on the Center for Equitable Library Access, (CELA CELALibrary.ca. The Mystery Guest, Molly the Maid, number two, by Nina Prose, and this is suspense and thrillers. I think I said too many S's there. Oath and Honor by Liz Cheney, which is politics and government biography. Ooh, really, really interesting in that one. And the Bill Murray's, by Jen Arden, which is a gentle mysteries. Um, Jacob, Grant, Nisreen, this has been a fantabulous discussion uh, and I think a really great way to cap off the year. So thank you, Grant, for joining us, first of all, on the show. Thanks for
2: having us, guys.
0: Yeah, we went through a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, And Jacob, uh, as always, thank you. Nis, thank you. Last goodbyes, guys, before 2024.
1: Happy New Year, Happy everyone.
0: Holidays. Happy, Happy holidays. New Year. And say in my audiobook review, you can get a hold of us, 1-866-509-4545. Email us, feedback at HCA. And just hang out with us in general, okay? Because we got new episodes for you every week. I'm Ramia Emadin with Jacob Chemansky and Nistrim abdel Happy New Year. Catch you in 2024. And happy audiobook listening.